Hello, it's Miss Hackett again. I'm reading chapter 25, The Edge of the Forest. The house settles into a steady gallop and my eyelids droop with tiredness. I straighten my back, take a deep breath of cold air and shake my head to stay awake. I need to make a plan. I look along the porch to where Ivan sits, staring towards the fiery volcano with a look of fierce determination. Will you tell me everything you know about Smee? Ivan yawns. Rest first, then plan. Alina bustles through the door, holding a tray loaded with food. Hungry? she asks, and my stomach rumbles so loud that mousetrap jumps from my head in fright. I also found this. Alina holds out a pot of something that smells like Mamochka's beeswax and sandalwood, sandalwood balm. For your injuries. She nods to the claw and bite marks on my back and legs, made by the white wolf in his pack. I smiled, smile at her kindness. It reminds me of Sasha and Mamochka, my family. Now I know that's what they are. All I want to do is make things right and go home to them. Alina sets down a bowl of greens for Yuri, plates of smoked salmon for Mousetrap and Blackstone, and a dish of stewed meat for Ivan. Ivan turns away from it in disgust, snarling something about how he catches his own prey. Alina dabs my wounds with the balm, then goes back into the house and returns with two huge walls of soup. She sits next to me, spooning hers into her mouth, and I stare at mine, wondering how to eat it politely. But my snout twitches at the scent, and soon my tongue is lapping it up with a life of its own. The soup splashes over my fur, and I spill the last bit while trying to hold the bowl with my paw, my paw. I lean back, lick my snout clean and flush with embarrassment under my fur. When everyone, apart from Ivan, who refuses to even look at the stewed meat, has eaten, we sit quietly, watching the land sail past. Spring fades as we travel north. There's more snow on the trees and the air grows colder. Alina brings out a blanket, leans against my back and dozes off. Blackiston snores quietly on the roof. Mousetrap burrows into the fur behind my ear, and Yuri snuffles in his dreams next to me. Ivan continues staring at the horizon, but his eyes are half-closed, and his head keeps dropping. I try to remember the stories I've heard about Smear, hoping they'll help me come up with a plan. But my mind fills with mist. Scared I'm forgetting my human life again, I try to picture every detail, planting seeds in the garden with Mamochka, her strong, smooth hands tucking my hair behind my ears. Anatoly sitting by the fire, his calloused fingers skating over an inky map. I picture Sasha smiling up at me from beneath his huge furry hat, asking me to race, rolling off his sledge, laughing. And I think about what I'll say to the lime tree. But I'm so tired that all my thoughts swirl together, and soon the gentle snores of my friends, the rhythmic thump of the house's chicken feet and the slowly rolling floor rock me into a deep, cave-dark sleep of my own. When I wake, all signs of spring are gone. Here's, here the trees are weighed down by snow, and the river is thick with ice. The sun is pale and distant, descending slowly through a cold grey sky. It's afternoon already. The tip of Alina's nose is blue, and our breath mingles into a big white cloud. I curl around her to keep warm like the bears Irina used to do for me, my grandmother. Sadness wells inside me at having left my grandmother behind. She's my family too, but 
If I stayed with her as a bear, I'd lose everything from my human life, even my memories, and they make me who I am. But my grandmother has made me who I am too. I frowned, suddenly confused by everything. I push my conflicting thoughts away and focus on what I am sure of. I have to save Sasha. As the day slips away, he could be slipping away too. I stand and search the landscape, trying to work out how much further we have to go. Not far ahead lies the northern edge of the snow forest. The silver stream ends in a wide crescent-shaped bay, frozen over with thick green ice, and beyond that lies a vast navy ocean splattered with huge patches of bright white ice. To the east, on the boundary between land and sea, looms the fiery volcano, its peak hidden by thick black smoke. Blazing reds glow beneath the smoke, and orange and yellow lights crackle and spark within it. I glance up at the roof above me, and am suddenly aware of how wooden and flammable the house is. How will we get to the lime tree safely? I whisper. Alina stirs, stretches and rubs her eyes, then looks from the house to the ocean ahead. We've reached the northern sea already, just a short distance around the coast, and then we'll be at the fiery volcano. She smiles and rests a hand on my back. The house leaps onto the frozen river and skids along so fast that I wonder if it's, if it's lost control. Yuri squeals as he slides along the porch and Mousetrap's claws dig into my ear as he's flung backwards. With a great swoosh and a frightening jerk, the house regains its balance, then skates smoothly onto the thick green ice of the crescent-shaped bay. What's that? Alina peers at a strange shape in the distance. Something large at the far edge of the bay. It grows, it grows huge as we approach, and my fur tingles with excitement as it comes into focus, because I think I can know how the house plans to take us safely to the fiery volcano. Mousetrap! I wiggle my head to, to check he hasn't gone back to, gone back to sleep. Look, a ship. I see it. Mousetrap leans over my head and grins. The Yaga girl said the house would keep us safe. What better way to get to the fiery volcano than to sail along the coast? I smile because Mousetrap is right. Icy water is the best place to stay, stay safe from a fiery volcano. As we draw closer, I, ga I gaze at the ship in awe. It's enormous, big enough for at least five Yaga houses to sit on its back on its deck. Its tall frost-white masts rise high into the sky, and its long pointed prow twinkles with snow stars. It's a frozen ship. Alina clasps her hands together in excitement, like the one from Anatoly's story. She turns to me, her eyes shining as bright as the ship. Has he told you that story too? I shake my head because although I do have memories of the story, it was another of Anatoly's more fantastical tales that I had trouble believing at the time, and it would be good to hear it again. Alina picks up her blanket, wraps it round her shoulders, and, as the house skates the last stretch towards the still white ship, she tells a story as Anatoly would have told it to her, starting with, Once upon a time. The Flying Ship once upon a time, the world was full of flying ships, powered by the heights of imagination and the depths of belief. 
the ships sailed through the, through the sky like whales through the sea, fishing for adventures of wonders. But as years passed, imagination and belief became rarer, and one by one the flying ships sank into the sea. They became cargo ships or passenger ferries or naval vessels. A few disappeared beneath the waves and became homes for mermaids and sea serpents. Soon there was only one flying ship left, ca captained by a young giant called Koshe. He soared through the sky and skimmed over clouds for one hundred years, until he was furrowed and grey as a blustery sea. The young giant Koshe was now old and his life was ebbing away. Sorrow engulfed him because Koshay loved flying his ships so much that he yearned to live and fly forever. So Koshay devised a plan. He flew off the end of the world, through the North Star and to the Isle of Buyan. And there he hid his soul beneath the great oak, so he could become immortal and never have to stop flying. Without his soul, Koshay would become known as the Giant Deathless. But without his soul... Cochet found that he had no imagination or belief to power his ship, so it fell from the sky and splashed into the northern sea. Anger and grief rampaged through Cochet. He snapped the, the mainmast in fury and stormed away to the snow forest, leaving the ship bobbing lonely on the waves. The ship drifted alone and forgotten until it was found by a crew of fishermen. Half the crew climbed aboard and fixed the mainmast then added a second mast and a net winch and turned the ship into a fine fishing vessel. And they sailed the northern sea from the calm east to the stormy west, collecting fish and kelp and crabs. Focused on their fishing, the crew didn't have the imagination or the belief to make the ship fly. Then one day, one of the fishermen fell in love on the shore of the Green Bay. His heart lightened until he felt like he was walking on sea form. And to his delight, the lady loved him too. The fisherman's crew gave the couple the ship as a wedding gift and returned to their first fishing vessel. The fisherman and his wife were so full of love, imagination and belief that when they set sail on their honeymoon, the ship rose into the sky. The ship's sails billowed in the wind and a smile spread across the bow. They flew off, in, they flew off the end of the world, through the northern star to the Isle of Bian and beyond. Seven seasons later, the fisherman and his wife steered back to the shores of the Green Bay. They were going to have a child and wanted to build a home together in the forest. So they left the ship alone once more, but before they did, they carved into its gunwales. For adventurers with belief and imagination. Winter came and Father Frost found the ship, lonely and forgotten. He sat on its bow and froze it into the ice, and there it sleeps year after year, waiting for a crew with enough imagination and belief to make it fly once more.